welcome back. It's that time of the week again. It is the 3 and D podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lewis. As always, you can find us on Twitter at 3 and Pod. You can find me at J underscore Timberfake underscore. And as always, we are a part of the Grizzly Bear Blues Network of Podcasts. Uh, make sure you check out the Starting Five, uh, the Core Four Podcast, and GBB Live. This week, this is our second episode of the week. I was able to land uh, some really good guests and wanted to get them in uh, this week. And joining us on today's show is Keith Parrish from Fast Break Be- uh, Breakfast. Keith, how you doing? I'm good, Justin. How are you? I'm doing very well. Um, thank you for coming on. Uh, why don't you tell the people where they can find you, uh, find you on Twitter and find Fast Break Breakfast on Twitter? Yeah, yeah. Well, I do the basketball tweeting over at Fast Break Break, so that's all my basketball thoughts. And also, I do uh, Grits Grinds, which is my Grizzlies podcast. But yeah, Fast Break Break on Twitter is where you'll get all the good stuff. It's where you get all the great stuff. If you guys do not follow them, you need to follow them on on Twitter. Uh, they're one of my favorite follows, especially in the basketball world. And it's just even better that they're Grizzlies fans. Um, and check out their podcast for for sure. They're also uh, very good at what they do over there. So Keith. Uh, why don't you give um, the the people kind of a, a breakdown of y'all's history and how y'all got started and why y'all chose to kind of have the account that you got? Sure. We started Fast Break Breakfast almost six years ago. Um, it's I'm a musician. I was a freelance piano player. And then one of the other guys, John, is a musician and a writer and an actor. And then the third guy, Chuck, was a stand-up comedian and a food truck um, operator. And we were just kind of random guys who had free time during the day to talk, to talk about basketball. So uh, we just decided we wanted that creative outlet. It also coincided with me having a kid. So my first kid was born almost six years ago. And I knew I was going to do a lot less music work. And I wanted something I could do at home. And so Fast Break Breakfast became that creative outlet. And then since then, we started the Twitter account, and been having fun just, you know, watching the NBA, reacting and recording podcasts and having a good time. Yeah, that's awesome. So who are the other two guys that you're with? So there's John Burr, who, again, he's uh, like he's just a freelancer and does everything. He's a talented musician and he's had writing gigs and acting gigs and does songwriting and just kind of he's just a man about town in Nashville. <clears throat> and he's a guy, excuse me, he was a guy who. I knew him for a really long time in Nashville and mutual friends were like, Hey, you know, this guy, John Burr, you know, he's a big NBA fan too. And I was like, Oh, I didn't know. And so we actually started texting years before we started the podcast where we didn't, we never hung out in person, but we became like pen pals about the NBA where he would just text. And then Chuck, Chuck grew up around Miami. He's a big heat fan. And Chuck and John were friends. And so when I was talking to John about, Hey, like, I'm going to be stuck at home with a baby. I'm ready to start this podcast. He's like, I think we should add Chuck. Let's go meet him. And we, we went to a bar and just were talking about it. And that's where we came up with the name Fast Break Breakfast. And just based on the name, we liked it and, and thus became the gimmick. A lot of people ask, like, were you guys just really big breakfast fans? No. We came up with the name, thought the name was funny. And then we shoehorned in a lot of breakfast puns and other, I guess, uh, topics like that. Yeah, it's it's definitely very creative, um, and it's it's a lot of fun to follow. So let's let's talk about the basketball. Um, yeah. you, did, you did get to watch the game today. What are, what's your reactions from that game? We're about 
two hours or so after the game has ended. So what are your thoughts if you have some time to cool down? I mean, my, my thoughts are – I guess my thought is, I mean, I'm, I'm frustrated, I think, like most Grizzlies fans. I thought it was a game where they were down the whole time. The entire game was miserable. Like, it felt like the Grizzlies couldn't get a loose ball. They couldn't get a rebound. It reminded me of times I played basketball, and I never played basketball at a very high level, but I was a very competitive church leaguer, and there were times <laughs> when it was like, we should be beating this team, but, like, everything's going wrong, and I can't make a layup. I can't, like, get a handle on the ball when the pass comes to me, and it looked like the Grizzlies were so shaky throughout this entire game. And, I mean, they came back, they clawed their way back, and we've now had two games, the Trailblazers game and the Spurs game, where the Grizzlies were tied with the second to go in the game. So, like, they could have gone either way. They could have won both games, but they haven't. Now they're 0-2, and now it starts getting uh, a little anxious. There's the Pelicans game on Monday, and if you lose that, then it's like, uh-oh, this is very, very bad. They still should be able to hold on no matter what, you know, to the, the play-in game. As long as they win, like, two games, they, they should be okay to, to not get passed by, by two teams. But um, a couple hours after the game, I guess my reaction is I'm frustrated but trying to see the big picture that they were in both the games and they were kind of toss-ups and I'm not going to try to get too uh, worked up about anything. Yeah, and I think the the positive in it, and it's kind of hard to find uh, positives and losses sometimes, but – the Grizzlies didn't play well today. Like you no. said, they, they were from behind the whole time, and they played worse than they did against Portland, and San Antonio is was the only game that we're going to be favored in um, this entire seeding tournament. The Thunder, look like they're going to be a tough game to try to steal. The Jazz look a little bit easier, less intimidating. You, you don't know with the Pelicans and what's happening with Zion. Um, they're, they're not looking too good right now. Tomorrow becomes a, a must-win um, in that, but for whatever reason, like there's still some type of hope, like this young team can figure it out because what they're what what's happened in two games is they've seen okay, this is what playoff basketball looks like. We we just faced the Portland Trailblazers who were in the conference finals last season, who's been there, they've done it. Like they punched us in the mouth from the beginning. We know how to respond. We just couldn't finish it off. And then you've got the greatest coach of all time, perhaps who just outcoached our rookie head coach who also has no experience in this seat. Um, and we came all the way back and it could have went our way too from a call on Grayson Allen, or if you were just played defense um, at the end of the first quarter and, and Patty Mills doesn't hit that shot. Uh, it just seems like Patty Mills is a constant grizz killer and we can't get rid of him. Yeah. Yeah. My, my big takeaway when you talk about Taylor Jenkins being a rookie head coach and going through this situation, my big question that I haven't seen answered anywhere after now seeing these two play and these two seeding games is in the fourth quarters, he's basically said whatever lineup was on the court with six minutes to go. That's who I'm sticking with. And part of me feels like, or I wonder, is he frozen? Like, is he, is he stage fright frozen that he hasn't done anything? It seems weird that he's left the lineups on the court. I mean, I was fine with it in the Portland game. I was excited that it was like basically the young core, it was John Moran, it was De'Anthony Melton, Dylan Brooks, Brandon Clark, and Jaron Jackson Jr. In this game, it seemed obvious Dylan Brooks was struggling. He didn't have it going on. And then you had Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen had a very strong game. But to still finish this game with all those young guys again, to have, you know, John and Jaron, those are givens, but have Brandon Clark finish the game again, and then to have Grayson and Dylan Brooks out there, 
I'm curious if it's a decision going into the games where they're saying, we're going to close these games with our young guys. We're building towards the future. We are getting these guys reps in high-pressure situations. Or if they think these young guys actually give us the best chance of winning. Because in both games, it felt kind of strange that it just in spot moments, maybe they wouldn't want to try to get Jonas Valanciunas back out there. I mean, you had the Spurs playing without Jakob Pertl, who'd fouled out. Yusuf Nurkic fouled out in, in the Trailblazers game. And, or even just like a guy like Kyle Anderson, who's like, he seems to settle things down at times. So sticking with the young guys the entire time and never subbing for the, these long final stretches of the games, it, it's an interesting decision. And I would love to know how much of that is, is premeditated or it's part of the game plan going in. Yeah, that's something that I haven't really thought about, but it was also something that I was extremely frustrated with with J.B. Bickerstaff is at the end of the games, like, he stuck with these same five every night, no matter who it was. Like, it doesn't matter if, like, somebody was struggling and, and there was a guy on the bench that was just red hot. That guy was going back to the bench and he was going to end with his starters, and there was no flexibility in the way he closed out games. And Jenkins seems like he's more willing to go with the hot hand, but then – you look at the fact that Dylan Brooks was doing nothing but hurting the team all night, why you wouldn't bring Kyle Anderson back in, who has played for Popovich and knows how things work and does slow things down. Um, now, he's not going to give you as much offensively because, hey, yeah, there's the chance that Dylan hits a couple in a row. And he did hit two contested layups in the fourth quarter. Um, but, yeah, I, that's a great thought and a great question with with that. Let's, let's talk about Dylan. Um, a little bit. What What is your overall stance on Dylan Brooks as a member of this team going forward? As far as going, you mean going forward this season or going forward into the future as far as next year and beyond? Next year and beyond. I think he, I think he has a role in the NBA and I think he's best served as a bench scorer. I mean, even on this team, this season, he has a crucial role. I mean, I'm, I'm very quick to criticize Dylan Brooks. He, he's not one of my favorite players. I do. I love how he competes. And I love that he steps up to the moment when a lot of times the other guys shirk away from it. Like he has a terrible fourth quarter shooting percentage for the season. But a lot of that is he's sometimes the only guy brave enough to take shots. There's other moments where it's like he takes bad shots or he just like he airballed a corner three tonight where he was wide open. And it's frustrating. But I think he – he has a role on this team and going forward. I just think it needs to be smaller. Like, he shouldn't be playing 34 minutes in an NBA game that matters. He, he's more of, in my mind, he's more of like a 20 to 24-minute player. He's like someone like Terrence Ross on the Magic, who Terrence Ross is way better. He's a much better offensive player. Um, you know, but I would like to see him with less burden placed on him. And, I don't. again, we make jokes that Dylan – you know, thinks he's the best player and thinks it's a big three with him, Ja and, and Jaron. But I don't know if he's being asked to do as much, like as much as he as he's doing because he's shooting the ball so much. And his fans were sitting at home. were like, why is he shot? Why did he shoot 13 times in the first half? This is wild. Jaron shot four, five times or four times and, and Ja's not shooting. So it does seem like he's being asked to do a lot. And I don't know if that's on purpose or if it's just something that, that he can't turn off, but. I guess to answer your question, it's, yeah, I think he has a, an important role, but I don't think it's a starter. I don't think it's someone who would play 28 or 30 minutes. Yeah, I think we've come to a consensus at Grizzly Bear Blues that the ultimate role for Dylan Brooks is, is on a contending team is not as a starter. It is a, sure. uh, a super sub, a guy that can come off and, and like a Terrence Ross, like you um, said. Um, but the thing about it, like, 
I think Nate, Nathan Chester said this about um, Dylan and his role currently and the, and the fact that he does shoot so many shots is maybe he's the only guy on the team that is a willing gunslinger, and Jenkins mm-hmm. welcomes that um, and says, like, if you're the guy that has no problem going out there and taking these shots, and when you do get hot, you get really hot, then we'll just we'll live with that and we'll die with that. But I think we've come to a point, especially after today's game, like we're dying with it. Um, <laughs> And so, like, I looked up some stuff right before we hopped on because, in my opinion, he – the play that he had at the beginning of the season, I guess you can say warranted the extension that he got. Um, I wasn't a fan of the extension at all. Um, I do see the timeline that they've got with that. It's his extension and Valanciunas' contract and, and when those start to expire and go out is going to be probably right around the time where – we're really going to be contending. And so they may not be a part of the big picture in that, in that part of it. But since he signed that extension, it's almost like he's disappeared. And yeah. so since February 6th, they've played 16 games. And he's been a box plus negative eight times, a positive seven times. And then today he was actually even somehow. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, he's only shot only f- over 40% from the field three times out of 16 games yeah sometimes he was shooting below 200 and it's just and he's your starting shooting guard and then the team is six and ten in these 16 games since his extension and the only game we won where he shot over 17 shots was against the lakers he shot but he went off that game and so it's just like we're at the point now where he is he's taking too many shots from the three players in the starting lineup that are better than him in Valanciunas, Jackson, and John Morant. And it looks like Jaron Jackson Jr. may be a breakout player in this bubble scenario after that 33 performance against Portland. Then he should have had this a repeat performance, but for whatever reason, we decided we wanted to be the Golden State Warriors and just jack up threes left and right instead of feeding the paint where Jaron Jackson, a seven-footer, is being guarded by DeMar DeRozan. Yeah, no, it's it's a frustration. I mean, I, I like to cite all those facts as well. Like, I mean, the, the basic one since the trade deadline, since that February 6th thing, he's, he's just Dylan's shooting, I think, 34% from the field. And, and he's, I mean, he's down to 40% for the whole year. He also only shoots, I think it's 35% in fourth quarters, and that's for the entire season. Uh, I, I'm with you. Like, I think the Grizzlies, every offensive possession for the Grizzlies preferably would be finished by John Morant or Jaron Jackson Jr. or Jonas Valanciunas or Brandon Clark. So almost regardless who's on the court, ideally one of those four guys is going to finish your play. And Dylan should be a safety valve or like a bailout valve. If you have nothing else going on, okay, then he jacks up a bad shot because he can create a shot. But otherwise he needs to really like sharpen up the arsenal of shots he takes. The mid-range shots he takes are almost all terrible. If he's moving towards the basket, I can handle it somewhat. If he shoots an eight-foot floater, if he's moving towards the basket, okay. But he really needs to get on board with the Mori ball and just do three-pointers and just do these layups or drives to the basket. His shot selection, and again, because it's still going on, it makes me feel like the coaching staff has not emphasized getting rid of it. I feel like if they wanted to get rid of it, they could get rid of it. And, and so that I guess that's, that's the frustration. But I, I, I mean – I've made my opinion strongly known on grits and grinds and on fast break breakfast where it's like, I would rather go down with D'Anthony Melton and Kyle Anderson. Cause even when those guys don't make shots, they help you win. 
they do the things to help you win. They get deflections. They get loose balls. They both rebound really well to make up for the terrible rebounding of Jaron Jackson Jr. and sometimes even Brandon Clark, where he doesn't get a rebound in traffic. And if DeAnthony Melton and Kyle Anderson hit shots, well, then look out. The Grizzlies are, are awesome. And you reciting all those terrible shooting performances of Dylan Brooks, I think now it's if Dylan Brooks if Dylan Brooks shoots over 45% in a game, just for the game, the Grizzlies are 20 and four, but he's only done that against a winning team twice. And in all other games, I think the Grizzlies are 11 and 33. Might need to check that. But yeah, so like if, if Dylan Brooks shoots beneath 45%, the Grizzlies are 11 and 33. So they're now going down swinging. They're basically like bottom of the lottery level team when Dylan Brooks can't hit his shots. And like you cited, he hasn't hit his shots in a majority of the games since the trade deadline. And so this is not how I want this Grizzlies team to go down. But that's, again, I guess my opinion and the coaching staff has, uh, has other plans. Yeah, and it's, it's what, I'm, what people need to understand is, like, as a starting shooting guard, you can't have somebody that disappears when they play the good teams and disappears in the fourth quarter. I tweeted um, after the, the Trailblazers game, the final eight minutes and three seconds of that game, he went over for 5, he missed a technical free throw, and had a turnover. Yeah. And some people wanted to jump on me and be like, well, it's not a, it's not a one-quarter game. It's a 48-minute, and Ja didn't play well. I said, no, no, no. Ja Morant shot 40% in the fourth quarter of that game, didn't have a turnover, and hit both of his free throws and put in a couple of rebounds which at 6'7", Dylan Brooks should be pulling in more than two rebounds a game. And it's just – I would actually rather and, – and Joe Molinax hates the hype that we give him. I'd rather die with Grayson Allen. Yeah. I mean, he, he hustles just as much as Dylan Brooks does on the floor. He provides way more playmaking than Dylan Brooks does on the floor. And, he, and honestly, like, at, from a coaching standpoint, because that's what I do is I coach basketball mm – -hmm. Grayson has the purest form of a jump shot on this team. Dylan Brooks' form is absolutely terrible, and I've tried to go into breakdowns of that with people, and they don't want to hear it because he's an NBA player and, you know, he's been doing it forever. But, like, it's hard to repeat, and that's why he's not consistent. His yeah. follow-through is just, just not good. Has it gotten weirder? I feel like maybe it's just been the months off where maybe I forgot. It feels like his jumper is way more one-handed than it used to be, but maybe I'm just remembering it incorrectly. Maybe yeah, that weird back in January when, he was, when they were going in. I haven't, I haven't studied um, these two games compared to, to what he was. I, that's something that I'm going to look at. Um, but it's, I, I made a joke um, that he was like two or three degrees to the left from being Joakim Noah on his, on his release. <laughs> like yeah. just, just the way that it comes off his hand, it's just, it's just hard. And I know Jaron's shot isn't ideal in the way that he releases it, but he's shooting 40%. Like, He's been phenomenal. He can repeat it. Dylan clearly hasn't. And like you said, like, if they're still letting him jack up 17 to 20 shots a game, then clearly it's got to be the coaching staff that's just like, all right, we're, we're going to live with Dylan Brooks doing this. But, like, how about we live with it with him coming off the bench? And something that, that Parker Fleming uh, just recommended was – you can't put Melton into the starting lineup because if Melton's not hitting and Kyle Anderson's not hitting, then there is no space for John Morant to get into the paint. So you put in Grayson Allen, who can spread the floor into the starting lineup. Yeah, he, he cannot defend to save his life, but he's going to hustle. And so that's where Kyle Anderson comes in to defend that, you know, premier offensive player that D Dylan Brooks was guarding 
in that starting lineup. And then Grayson provides more, more spacing. And then you let Dylan come in with that second unit and just let him be the gunner in the second unit. And then it is what it is. Now, you don't want to mess up the flow with, you know, Tyus Jones and Brandon Clark and what they had going on, but we got to do something different. Well, you mentioned Tyus Jones. Like, while Tyus Jones is out, I almost feel like you have to get Dylan Brooks maybe onto that second unit. Because, like I was saying, he's taking shots away from Jaron Jackson Jr. and Jonas Valanciunas and John Moran on the first unit. I almost feel like maybe you could start Anthony Melton while there's no Tyus Jones. And then you have Kyle come out early, maybe bring in Dylan then, and then Kyle checks back in for John Morant like they've done the last two games. So then that second unit, you have maybe Grayson and maybe Kyle kind of handling the ball. And then Dylan Brooks can take over. Because right now that second unit is kind of weird as it is with Tolliver and sometimes Josh Jackson, Grayson Allen out there. Like it's not – things aren't ideal. And a lot of this, again, they don't have Tyus Jones – and they've been tied with a second to go in both of the games. So, like, we're talking about these very narrow margins where we'd feel a lot better if we got lucky. But I, also the Grizzlies were losing for most of the games in, uh, in both of them. But I would, I would rather see – I would rather try Melton starting or even keep Dylan Brooks starting. I'm fine with the starting lineup. But I think we've seen that closing – if you're going to go away from Jonas Valanciunas, closing, you probably should have Kyle Anderson, I think, at the three – with Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. I harp on this a lot. Um, in over 240 possessions, their net rating, it's plus 22. Like, they, their skill sets complement each other so well, and we haven't even seen it that much. It only played one minute tonight, and the Spurs didn't score the one minute that those three guys were on the court. The Grizzlies won the, that minute three to zero. Like, every time those three guys come, on, come together, if you have even – like if you have John Morant and Melton with that, that's ideal to me. They played a lot more in the regular season with Tyus Jones with that unit. But I feel like that's what they should definitely be doing. And, you know, I, I die that we've only seen something like 25 possessions the entire season of John Morant, D'Anthony Melton, Kyle Anderson, Brandon Clark, Jaron Jackson Jr. Because I think that is like kind of the ideal setup with this Grizzlies roster. But obviously the coaching staff disagrees because they don't really ever go to it. Well, I think they may disagree partly just because you, there's not a lot of shooting in that lineup. But defensively, that is going to be your best lineup that you can throw out there. And the playmaking, you've got three guys that can handle the ball and bring up the court. Brandon Clark's versatile. Yeah, so I, I'm with you on that. Um, and you, we just brought up a name, Ty, Tyus Jones. Like, I think I underestimated a little bit how important that he was. Like, I thought that the if we upped – Jaws minutes to 35 minutes, uh, which is where he's sitting at right now, that mm -hmm. we could find a way in 13 minutes to hold down the fort, and it just hasn't happened. Like, he has been extremely crucial to the su success of this team, and I think it's been very overlooked. Well, I think, I mean, honestly, I mean, it's been bad. It hasn't been great. Like, normally the, the Grizzlies this year gains ground in their games when John Morant went to the bench because uh, you'd have – Tyus Jones and Brandon Clark and Anthony Milton come in, and that second unit was dominating people. And so we knew, we knew when we got to these seeding games that maybe teams would be shortening rotations. It'd feel more like the playoffs. And the Grizzlies' depth and their second unit strength wouldn't be that much of an asset because other teams would be shortening their rotations. But then um, what's happened in these two games is it hasn't been an abject disaster. Just the Grizzlies don't gain ground, which it used to be in the in – the, before the COVID-19 shutdown, the Grizzlies would gain ground with their second unit, and that's not happening at all right now, and that's where Tyus Jones' absence is really being felt. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think 
to keep from being so down because, like you said, we were down the entire game and, you know, we'd be feeling totally different if we had gotten lucky if a bounce had gone this way or that way. Is like we have to remember that, like, next season we could have a better record but still be like the 10 seed because you're going to have a healthy Warriors team um, mm-hmm. next year and other teams are going to be improving. The Pelicans are going to be improving. The Kings will be improving. Um, we could be a better team but still be on the outside looking in. So, like, for these young guys this first year together as a core, as a glue, to, like, be going through these seeding games in the position that they are, like, this is massive for the future of the Grizzlies. Even if, you know, something crazy happens and we just don't win in these seeding games and we're bumped to the 10th and we don't even get to play in, like, they are going to learn a ton and the front office is going to learn, you know, about the makeup of this roster and, the, you know, Jenkins and that staff is going to, you know, learn from their mistakes. Like, this is a big stretch of two weeks for this franchise. Yeah, it is. And I, I feel like we sometimes, I guess, console ourselves as Grizzlies fans to tell uh, ourselves, like, oh, this is, the, this is the icing on the cake, which it is. Like, we're supposed to be terrible this season. We're rebuilding. The next couple of years, you know, we're going to be on the ascendancy. But like you said, the Grizzlies might not make the playoffs next year because other teams might be way better. And so because of that, I'm trying to not, I don't know, I'm trying to maybe feel the pain a little more of like, we need to seize the moment this year because we don't know if we're going to be able to get back to the playoffs next year. We don't know what's going to happen in the next two years, three years. The future looks bright, but when you're close to the playoffs, I just really wish they would seize it. And I I don't know if, again, I don't know if they are. My theory is they're, they're leaning on the younger guys maybe to get those reps to build for the future. But there's part of me also where I'm like, Let's maybe get our veterans back in there a little bit because I'd really like to make the playoffs. And I think going through this, these eight seeding games and then a play-in, and then how much more beneficial would it be to also have a playoff series against the Lakers after that? I feel like that would be – I mean, obviously that's what we all want. So I, I don't want to push too much down the road and be like, it's going to be okay. Um, you know, they're playing all these young lineups. I still want them to be like, you know, winning is the most important thing and winning this year – could uh, beget winning in the future. It builds that culture. It teaches you how to win. Like there, there's not necessarily value in just giving reps to young guys. If it means losing, maybe there's a different way to do it, but I don't yeah, know. Right. Both sides of my mouth there, but. Yeah, but I'm with you. Like there's those that like, Oh, we're just rebuilding and we're, we're just getting ready for the future. But at some point you have to stop rebuilding and in a rebuild, nothing's more valuable than playoff experience. Like if you're able to sneak in in the first year of a rebuild and you are playing LeBron James in the in the first round, and John Morant gets to pick his brain and see how he operates and see how he plays a game, and you know Rondo and and Anthony Davis and these guys that are just they've been there, like that's huge for us. And if we're winning at at such a young age with these guys, like that's just going to want. I guess other players are going to want more to come and be a part of what we're doing in Memphis. Like I think what we have here is going to be more attractive than what we ever had with grit and grind as far as other players wanting to come be a part of it because John Morant's transcendent. And, you know, while we think that it's a really good chance that next year we won't be in the playoffs, we don't know what kind of leaps he and Jaron Jackson are going to take and, and what they're going to be able to do. I, I want to go back to what you're talking about with uh, the end of the fourth quarter and the kind of decisions that are being made. Like, I think, Part of me just hopes that that is Taylor Jenkins intentionally leaving the young guys in because I don't want to hope that our coach is making that big of a mistake 
um, when the games have this much at stake on them. Like, because you're right, like we, we've got to have somebody with some quote-unquote experience because you just ran out a lineup with zero playoff experience when you've got guys on the bench that have been there and have done that. Like Kyle Anderson came from one of the best franchises in the NBA. Valanchunas has playoff experience. Like right. you've got some vets and they can steady the ship. Like just even if you have one out there, like do something. So yeah. like I'm with you, like what are they, is it intentional? Is it a front office push? Is it a, is it a coaching staff push or is it a coaching mistake? Like that's the confusing part about all of it. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't focused as much on how little playoff experience, like the absolute dearth of playoff experience. You, you have two rookies, you have two second-year players who are on a team you know, that was terrible last year, and then Dylan Brooks, who, who knows no success uh, at the NBA level. Um, and so that's, it's really, that's interesting. That, yeah, I mean, there aren't that many options. That is one of the funny things as Grizzlies fans, where like, I guess a lot of Grizzlies fans are like, I'm mad at Dylan Brooks, and if you ask them who you, they won in the game, they're all like Josh Jackson. I'm like, no, that would Josh Jackson's not fixing anything. You know, I don't think you know. Or, or like, and some people are like, I think Grayson Allen should have more playing time, and others are like, in my boat, I'm like, no, I think it should be Kyle Anderson. Like, the Grizzlies don't have a ton of options, which is one of the reasons that we are seeing so much Dylan Brooks. The front court is a little more interesting, where Jonas Valanciunas has proven and he's had a very good season and he has some playoff experience, but you also have these young guys, Brandon Clark, Jared Jackson Jr who are awesome and Grizzlies fans love and we want to see them play. So that is a tricky question. Like should, should Taylor Jenkins have taken Brandon Clark out to get Jonas Valanciunas in there? I don't know. Like I think maybe possibly, but it's not an easy question. So, I mean, obviously the roster isn't ideal. Losing Justice Winslow wasn't ideal. I mean, what would really be frustrating is if Justice Winslow was healthy and then Dylan Brooks was still playing and shooting 20 shots and, and you know, Justice Winslow wasn't in the game. That's, that's that's a nightmare that hopefully, thankfully, we're not we're not faced with. Yeah. So like every coach has like that guy that they like with JB Bickerstaff, it was Shelvin Mack. Like everybody in the world could see that he was terrible, but for whatever reason, JB wanted to play him. Like, could Dylan Brooks be Coach Jenkins' Shelvin Mack? Like he just believes in him and he's gonna leave him in there no matter how bad he hurts the team, you know, like I don't know. We we do talk about like we get excited about the quote unquote depth with this team, but like like you said, like we don't have the options that you're just fully confident in. Yeah, we have probably some of the most depth that Grizzlies rosters ever had. Like guys that you're like, okay, they go in, like we're they're gonna help the team, except for Marco Guterich. Like he's probably the only guy that you're just like, okay, don't put this dude on the floor. Like I'll even put John Conchar in the game. Like at this yeah, point, yeah. yeah, at this point, like, I want to see him over Dylan Brooks at times. Now, you know, what, what is the – I don't know. With could, Here's my question. Can Brandon Clark play the three? So, that's interesting. It's not ideal, but I think there are possessions where I've been thinking in these games. Like, you can run a few possessions, especially based on matchups. When they were playing the when they were playing the Trailblazers, there were times that like Brandon Clark, I mean, he's not a great option on Carmelo Anthony, but like neither is anybody else who's who's out there guarding him. And so I guess depending on matchup, you, you kind of could at times. I'm trying to think who like it's gonna be interesting. Like can Brandon Clark guard Brandon Ingram? Uh, doesn't seem ideal, but it also seems maybe not worse than some other options. So I. It's an interesting question. Like, can you play Brandon Clark 
with Jaron Jackson Jr. and Jonas Valanciunas. You probably don't want to, but I'm not going to be mad at it is, is kind of also my feeling. That's also one of my arguments when I say, why don't we just play D'Anthony Milton and Kyle Anderson at the two and three? Even though they aren't great at shooting, they're good at everything else. And guess what? We're not good at shooting, no matter who we play. Like, <laughs> if you play 35 minutes of Dylan Brooks and he's one for seven from three, I'd rather see someone uh, – I'd rather see D'Anthony Melton struggle from three because I know he's going to get all those rebounds. And, again, like, we're t- we are maybe too focused on Dylan Brooks. He was, like – he stuck out with how many shots he missed in the final foul. Anyone could have committed that foul. And – and Dylan competes hard, and he's a good defender. Like, it would be one thing if he was all offense, no defense, but he's always guarding the other team's best guy. They're asking him to do a lot, and the coaching staff might think they're better off with him defending and then what, what he brings on offense. So, like, we shouldn't make Dylan the, the villain of this too much. For me, I'm going to just blame the coaching staff for why have you given him the freedom to play 35 minutes and shoot 20 shots. So I, I wish the coaches would do something different. And the lack of shooting concerns with other lineups, it's like, well, we're not hitting shots anyway, so let's just man up and defend and hopefully grab some loose balls and do it the grit and grind way where it's all floor burns and shoving people for offensive rebounds. Like, they didn't didn't get offensive rebounds this game. Like, there was, like, no second-chance points, which is what was, like, was the strength of the team, so. Yeah, they got out-rebounded by 10 by a team that runs Rudy Gay as their backup center. Like, yeah. And so that's why I brought up the question about Brandon Clark running the three, because with Brandon and Jaron being your four and five, like they struggle to rebound. And in the, in the closing out of a game, like you've got to be able to secure rebounds. And it's almost like you, you've, you've got to have Valanciunas in there to make sure that we're getting the boards that we're supposed to be getting, because there is absolutely no reason that we get out rebounded by the Spurs like that. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't getting the 50-50 balls. I mean, some of it is like it just the ball didn't go your way. But it did seem like the Grizzlies were a step slow. And maybe it was nerves. I mean, maybe just like they couldn't get on the same page. And you had at the end of the third quarter, I think Jaron had one or two rebounds. Dylan had no rebounds. And Brandon Clark had one or two rebounds. Like, it was a mess. Like, yeah, they, they, were, they weren't getting the job done. And hopefully they'll find a combination in the upcoming games to grab some loose balls and look more like the Grizzlies we saw when they were winning in December, January, and February. Yeah, for sure. I think something that I noticed big time in this game is with this team, like getting out on on the fast break and running is where they find their their success. And it didn't feel like they ever really got out and ran against the Spurs for whatever reason. And so we've got to be able to do that um, the rest of the way forward because our half-court sets all season long haven't been that great. Um, I don't think Jenkins' system is really built upon that. I think it's, you know, let's play defense, let's create turnovers, let's get rebounds and run. Um, and if you ain't getting rebounds and you're not getting stops, then you're not getting out and running. You're not getting into your offense. And that's kind of the story of, of today's game. Right. No, I agree. All right. Well, Keith, I appreciate you coming on. Is there anything you want to add as we close out? No, man. I think we got it. I just hope the Grizzlies beat the Pelicans. Otherwise, it's going to get, it's going to get real nervous in, in Grizz Nation. Well, Keith, I definitely appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Uh, if you guys do not follow uh, fast break breakfast on twitter you need to do that at fast break break uh, it is one of the best follows for uh, memphis grizzlies fans and basketball fans there is on twitter so again keith i appreciate it and for keith uh, this is justin lewis and this has been another episode of the three and d pod